Full Service Radio is proudly supported and hosted by Simplecast, the easiest way for a podcast creator to publish and distribute audio on the internet. For more information, visit Simplecast.com. Full Service Radio. Welcome to Lunch Agenda on Full Service Radio, broadcasting live from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan neighborhood of Washington, D.C. I'm your host, Nani Dutton, filling in for Kiko Bourne. I'm Deputy Director of Fresh Farm, a local D.C. nonprofit that operates producer-only farmers markets and food prints, a school education, nutrition education program in partnership with D.C. public schools. My co-host is Nick Stavely. Nick works at Community Food Works, also a D.C. nonprofit that runs farmers markets and their innovative pop-up food hub. Hello. Lunch Agenda is a podcast that schools you on parts of the food system that are less often explored. You can check out past interviews with D.C.-based leaders Ona Balkis and Michael Twitty, and national food advocates like Mark Bittman, Leah Peniman, and Julia Tertian. We're continuing our series, D.C. Area Food Fighters, diving in with local business owners that have prevailed amid the rapidly changing neighborhoods and demographics of the DMV region. Today, we have the pleasure of interviewing Mario Alice, a member of the family that owns and operates Hades Restaurant in Mount Pleasant and Brightwood. For almost my entire lifetime, Hades has served D.C. residents. Hades describes itself as having a casual atmosphere perfect for dining with friends, co-workers, and family. But Hades is more than just a restaurant, it's a community institution. With live concerts, weekly karaoke, and open doors, even on major holidays, Haiti welcomes everyone with good food and friendly service. Mario, welcome. Thanks for having me. No problem. So we just wanted to talk to you because I've been frequenting Haiti's for... 10 years, but that's just a third of, you know, Haiti's lifetime. Like, ha- can you talk a little bit about your parents, um, Haiti and also Mario, how they got started and, you know, what brought them to D.C. and what made them want to open a restaurant here? Well, my parents uh, come from El Salvador and um, in the 80s, I wouldn't exactly call it an ideal time to be there. They were amongst the civil war. You know, we don't, you know, that'll take a while to go through, but... um the the point is that they had to find a way to have more opportunity because there just was none there. You know, they were burying relatives, friends, as most Salvadorans were before they flooded in the 90s. Right. And uh, when they got here, you know, it, it wasn't exactly easy for them. Like, my dad ended up in New York. My mom ended up here. Wow. So it wasn't ex- yeah. They knew each other way back, you know, in the old country. Right. So it was a bit of a, you know, if you guys ever had somebody you were chasing, you know, you wouldn't exactly <laughs> want to be 300 miles away from them and flat broke. You know, you can't even call them on the phone. Right. You got to write a letter and hope they get it. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. And then write you one back. Right. Exactly. Um, so when my mom got here, she was actually homeless, sleeping in that park right there off of, um, what is that, Harvard and Mount Pleasant? Yeah. Oh, right there by yeah. the 7-Eleven? Right there. It all started oh, wow. right there. Yeah. So, um... Yeah. She started working for the owner of this place called Trolley's, which is now Mark's Cafe, as you guys probably know it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was in the late 80s. So when you say 30 years, she's been in Mount Pleasant 30 years. A lot of people think that it was only Hades, but actually she was running another place for 10 years before there was even a Hades. Oh, wow. <laughs> so what, what kind of uh, made her stand out was that people just really liked her. Mm-hmm. Like her personality, how she was welcoming to everybody. She would, uh, if she hears you're having a personal problem, she'll do her best to go out of her way to either, you know, not help you solve it, you know, outright solve it herself. Right. And uh, that's just the type of person she is. 
And when my dad was able to come to D.C., she got him a job at Trolley's. And then next thing you know, you know, there was just nobody working in the kitchen with the type of ethic he had where he would do, he would cook, wash dishes. He would serve the food, go take orders if he had to. And he couldn't even speak English yet. <laughs> but, you know, if it sounded right, he, he could sound his words out. And that's how he learned the English language. And now he's, you know, speaking like he's a professor these days. That's All just right. the way it is. <laughs> and, um so that that's what it was and that was the origins of the place and the that was about in the late 80s 88 89 right and around 97 she had enough money where she could uh, invest in her own place so she um took off a lease in this place that used to be called the african room right there on irving and mount pleasant and uh, she renamed it hades that's actually her middle name uh-huh. People know her as Haiti, and they don't really know her first name is Nimia because Haiti just rolls off the tongue, right? Right, yeah. yeah, yeah. And um, we went from there. You know, Haiti's got big because people loved her, and the people that loved her in trolleys, they followed her to Haiti. Right. And there was like a one year in between, between 96 and 97, where she was running two places at once, and she was deciding whether she wanted to have two restaurants, but it was her first shot, so she didn't want to mess it up. <laughs> so she had to give up um, trolleys and go full time to Haiti. Yeah. So, yeah, it's interesting because you, for those folks who haven't been into the Hades, you walk in, there's paintings of Haiti, there's pictures of Haiti on the wall. You know, I feel like I've known Haiti for a long time, and I actually think I just met her personally um, the other week. a few weeks ago Yeah, when we went in to talk to see if she wanted to come in and talk to us for an interview. And, you know, it seems like she's still working so hard. You know, I mm-hmm. think at the time when we talked to her, she was in the kitchen, you know, making the food and getting everything ready and, you know, it was so friendly to come out and talk with us and we weren't sure she was thinking like, all right, you know, well... Yeah, it was it, like it was like 5.30 and she took a couple minutes to get out of the kitchen but she took that time out of a busy day to come chat with us. Yeah, so, and it was warm and welcoming and, you know, just sort of speaks to, I think, the, the friendliness and the character of the place. So, how... So your, your parents moved here... From El Salvador, it was you know a long period. I guess how long did it take them? Do you think to get to settle sort of in New York and DC? I don't know what that travel would have looked like. Right? You know, um, it, it took a while because when you're showing up somewhere, you know you don't have any connections, you don't have anybody to call, you don't have a way to call somebody, you don't have food, you don't have a place to stay, transportation. But you know the way they were raised every penny they got I mean it went right back in their pocket and they they used it the best way it could be used or they didn't use it at all and um, so it was more when they could save some money and it took them a couple of years to really get acclimated and then that's when the communication between my parents got stronger and they got my dad to come down yeah, how long was he in New York before he could come down it was about three two two three years two, three years yeah. Yeah. so he never really got settled in up there he was just just there trying to figure out how to get here. Yeah, right. Yeah, of course. And so I bet the neighborhood must have looked a lot different, you know, in the '80s and '90s than it does now. Do you uh, do you have any insights for what Mount Pleasant was at the time? Well, you know, I am more of an early 2000s person because that's you know I was born in the late '90s. But from you know the statistics and everybody that talks about DC in the '90s, I wouldn't call it. An ideal situation, you know, Mount Pleasant was a, it's always been a melting pot, nobody's really, there's never really been a dominant demographic in Mount Pleasant, mm-hmm. 
it just always switches and fluctuates around depending on what's going on, what job opportunities are there, how the housing affordability <laughs> is. Yeah. And, um, you know, it was a, it was a, it was a challenge <laughs> for me. <laughs> for sure. So I'm curious, how, what do you think has helped Hades endure for, you know, 30 years basically now? It's a, it's a hybrid of adapting to change because you can't just stay in an antiquated way forever. It's, you're going to get weeded out. That's just the way life in a city is, any city you can imagine all over the world, especially restaurants. And, um, but you still got to know what got you the seat at the table as well. So you got to really stick to your, the stuff that really made you popular. And you also got to accept the change. And when I say accept the change, I mean like things like karaoke taking off. That was, that wasn't something we were known for maybe three years ago. But now it's everybody's calling. So you know, want to come in? And, come in um, and now we have tablet sales. And when I say tablet sales, it's like you know how you have ride shares, Uber and Lyft. Mm -hmm. Well, they 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 basically went into the food business. And now you have a whole new market of people that don't exactly want to go out, but they want to try your product. Oh, yeah. So now you'll see less people wanting to go out, but they still want to eat. So they'll still order the food. So you're still selling the same amount of food. But whereas somebody that just doesn't get with the program, they just are missing out their, the same market. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What was one of the kind of first big hurdles or changes they had to make maybe earlier in the 90s or early 1000s? Because um, I'm sure I'm sure there were tons of other bars or restaurants that were popping up and closing down and that sort of thing. Trying, and this is going to sound weird because you're in a city, trying to act as an individual entity and really stand out on their own, basically be different from everybody else. Mm -hmm. And often you, when you come into new neighborhoods or even neighborhoods you're in and some people come in and they have a larger voice mm -hmm. at times... You, you can't exactly just say, I want to put up a new sign, or I want to have music now, or, you know, things like of that nature. And we had, to, we had to really fight to be able to have live music. And, oh, that really? was, and that was a really tough change for my parents, because in their, the way they grew up, it's your money, it's your place, you do what you have to do, and you seek fit. You don't have to answer to people that don't pay the bills. Mm -hmm. But that's not the way it's like in the city. Interesting. Can you talk more about that? I guess I don't know. Does Hades own the building? Do you have a landlord? You know, what's... I don't know the so, exact setup. Mm -hmm. The owner of that building and quite a few other buildings in Mount Pleasant, especially back then, was a, was a very nice uh, Greek man by the name of Leo Vondas. Mm -hmm. And um, he kind of took like a mentorship role to my mom, I guess, because he would be a customer at Mark... At, um, not Mark's. I confused. Uh, trolleys. Yep. And he also owned that building because you know, he owns like Sportsman's Liquor still now, that whole apartment building. Right, yeah. mm -hmm. And he owned a lot of the row houses right there. Mm -hmm. And he always told her, you should buy the place, you should buy the place. You never want to be stuck in a lease forever. And he's the one leasing her. So he's <laughs> going against her his own business interests and telling her eventually she has to buy the place. Right. And she's listening to him and eventually she saves up a lump sum and she buys the place in mm -hmm. around 07. So... Took a while. So now she's got yeah, full yeah. control of the place, you know. It's hers. Um, and that was right before the financial crash of 2008. So right, that right must have been a rocky few years. Yeah. Well, it was for a lot of Americans, yeah. Right. But do you think 
how did Hades fare during that time? You know, I don't know if it's since it's a institution that's been around forever. Do you think it was affected as much, or was it just sort of, hey, we've always been eating at Hades. We're going to still keep eating at Hades, whether or not you know the economy's doing great. Or I think you saw a lot less people. Like before, there was a there was culturally a thing here where you'd have like ten people go out and one person might pay the check or two people might pay the check right. and now everybody's splitting tabs and people are just you know more as they should have been conscious about how they're spending what they're spending how they're spending it where they're spending it yep. what do they get out of what they spent and uh i won't say that business went down i'll say the way business was done changed mm -hmm. people were more into they weren't they were hoarding cash so they weren't really dropping cash or dropping cash tips they wanted to just use their cards and they didn't want to spend that much and uh, you saw more people and I, I I'm trying to find the right way to say it it's you saw more people drinking hmm, right uh, and that market got more big than the food itself yeah. mm -hmm. drinking you know that's a way to say it you know when people <laughs> you think people when people are going you know, losing some money, they wouldn't do that, but that's, you know, emotions have a way of doing that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Drinking it. is immune to recessions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, I guess I never thought about that, and, you know, I always thought, like, right, there's always been karaoke at Hades, you know, and live music, and, mm -hmm. you know, going there to watch World Cup games, etc. But I never thought that, you know, Hades would have trouble. You know, getting a license to be able to have those things at that restaurant, right? And you think about, like, this is my space, why, why can't I do um, whatever I want with it? So has that always been a challenge, or has it gotten worse or better over the years, do you think? Uh, I think the, the longer you're in a neighborhood, I'm not going to... I want to say you have more cachet, mm -hmm. but I'll say when people know what you're about, and now you have one or two generations of people that know you're about... right. You know, people are more in tune with what they think your intentions are as opposed to somebody that just came in there and is trying to all of a sudden like re redo the whole neighborhood. Mm -hmm. So now when she wants to do something, she has more support because she, they've seen what she's done for the community, how many fundraisers she's done, how many platforms she's given people, how much free food she's given away that she doesn't tell anybody about just because it's the... Because she, does, she just wants it to be between them and the person that she's helping. Yeah. And that uh, the word of mouth gets around. Were there uh, other businesses up and down Mount Pleasant Street that had the same challenges that maybe looked to Haiti for like advice or guidance or support if they're trying to change their business or do something new or something like that? I, I wouldn't say they come to guidance, but I'll say that, you know, Don Juan's, Don Jaime's, yeah, yeah. Marlene's, uh, you know, those other Latin-based businesses that also wanted because they had to be signed, they had to sign a voluntary agreement, voluntary agreement back had, in had the to. <laughs> and yeah, they had yeah. to, yeah. just to get a license to even have a business. And that voluntary agreement was thrown back in their faces when they wanted to make improvements to their business to generate more money for the neighborhood, which is kind of counterproductive when you really look at it. Right. More that, foot traffic is better for the neighborhood, right? Was but, that was that signed with the city? That wasn't. That sounds like it would not no. have been from the the landlord here. So back in the '90s and early 2000s and before, obviously, you would have, you'd always have to get, you know, like 
there would be a grace period if you want to get a nightclub license or a music license or a tavern license, any type of license change. Like they're basically mm-hmm. saying you need a certain amount of days for anybody to oppose it. Yeah. So, well, when you have a when you have a group of people that oppose it and they organize themselves, it doesn't have to be many of them, but if they if they know the right people, they'll have you in a position where you're forced to sign that because you're facing inspectors every day, you're facing all sorts of undue duress that you didn't think had anything to do with this just because you told somebody that you weren't going to do things their way. Right. Politics. Right. Mm-hmm. The politics of DC. Um, you know, I'm curious to know more about the politics of Mount Pleasant itself. So it was trolleys and then Hades. I, I don't know what you know, Mount Pleasant looked like when Hades first opened. It was the Hades, you think, the first real like restaurant in Mount Pleasant right there? Or it, was, it took over, you were saying, uh, an existing place. Um, do you, uh, does you know, Haiti ever talk about what Mount Pleasant looked like back then? Well, another mentor to her, in addition to to the person that owned um, trolleys was right across the street at Don Juan, actual Don Juan. Uh-huh. He's, he's long gone now, rest in peace, he was a good man. Mm-hmm. And he really, he wanted, actually, he wanted her to own it when he wanted to retire. Uh-huh. That's, that, that shows you how much he thought of her. A lot of people, and this is the 90s, you don't exactly have all these men trying to get this woman to be in charge of things in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it was a different time, you know, a lot of, I'm ashamed to say this, but a lot of men would, would, would even question if she should be driving a car back then. That's just what it was. Right. But the people that knew her knew that she was one of the sharper tools in the box. Mm-hmm. And um, Don Juan's was like the type of place... It, people felt about Don Juan the way they felt about Haiti, which is something that... Feel about Haiti, which is something that uh, is actually hard to replicate. How are you going to fill somebody's shoes? And now it's to the point where... Now they think of her the way they thought of them. Like, now this is her block. That's the way they think of it. Mount Pleasant is her neighborhood. She has the street sign right next to 7-Eleven that has her face and my dad's face on it. So it's weird how that happens. You are what you used to look up to. Mm -hmm. And, you know, is there anything you miss about, say, you know, when Hades was first getting started, those early days, what Mount Pleasant looked like back then? You know, is there anything that has mm-hmm. changed that you kind of look back to and you know wish hadn't gone away? Yeah, I miss that feeling where everybody knew each other, mm. and uh, you know the whole it takes a village to raise a child. Mm-hmm. You know, your parents would hear about you or this and so because such and such saw you there, and now your parents know to tell you not to do that, not to do this. Little things like that where it felt like a happy family almost, and. Uh, it all kind of changed. It all really changed when uh, when the Doville burned down. Mm, right that's the that's the condo building that's right sits could, right across the street. Could you talk Sullivan. about more when that happened and what it was like? And uh, you know, I'm just I'm not that old, so I was only maybe 11 years old, mm-hmm. and uh, 2007, I believe, March. And I'm sleeping, and um, just. I don't know how I woke up. Oh, my grandma woke me up. She says something's going on in Mount Pleasant. There's a big fire. And I live on Hobart Street, so you, it's right, right there. Right. And you can just see this big cloud of smoke, this big bright orange flames, and you can hear the sirens. Yeah, and you're like, where is that coming from? And you're like, where is that coming from? I'm thinking it's coming from the yeah, restaurant because yeah. I'm a little, I'm, a, I'm an 11-year-old person, and I'm calling, and all the lines are dead, and there's no TV, so you, 
you can't figure out what in the world's going on. You're just going by word of mouth. And when it was all said and done, I still had to get to school that morning. And it's 9, it's 9 a.m. and we're still stuck trying to get out of Mount Pleasant because the fire was still burning and it was still blocked off. And there were, you could just see, because my parents ended up taking me to there because they had nobody to watch me, so they had to come back and get me. And you see all the people just standing there looking at basically their lives burned to the ground. Yeah. Yeah. They said 200 families were displaced. They said that those families would have first crack when the building reopened and that never happened. And Because uh, when... It lost its soul. Yeah. Did, did your mom give out food like that? Did she open her doors? To, oh, she, to she, she was... She knew a lot of those people, so yeah. she was... They, they had the, the firefighters basically had to fight my dad off of the door because he wanted to go in and make sure some of the older seniors were out because mm-hmm. you didn't know what was good. Nobody would tell you anything. They'd say, get the butt out of the street. Yeah, yeah. So, wow. Um, it's interesting that, right, it was 2007. and then It was I, that personal. Right, and I can't imagine. Like, how long did it even take before they started work on you know, rebuilding. Yeah, it took like three years. Yeah. Right. And then, so, I bet there was lots of regulars that lived there in that building. Do you think the clientele, like, you know, the customer base has changed? Like, do you still have some of those regulars that have been coming to Hades for, you know, or has that all sort of changed, you know, year over year as... Do you you see people from mm -hmm. five years ago or ten years ago or just a lot of new faces? Well, without a doubt, the demographics changed forever on that day because you, 200 families is a lot of people you know that, that goes into thousands yeah, of people hundreds of people yeah. and then people related to them now you know a lot of them were regulars and a lot of them were forced to move to like maryland or further east in the city to more dangerous neighborhoods or just not in mount pleasant because they didn't work out that way there was no room for them to come back and that's a that's a very um, blunt way of putting it, but that's mm-hmm. that's the way it ended up being. And we do see a lot of folks come come to the restaurant. You know, they they take the bus after work, or mm-hmm. they go out of their way because they still miss they still miss seeing my mom. They miss the food. They miss sitting there with their families. Um, and then they come back and they see the way it is new, and they they, they like the new thing. They like now you got three TVs. You can see games all over the place. Watch debates, events, whatever. You can have your birthday parties. Now we can have live music. You can bring your own band. If you really want your own band for that day, make a special, and a lot of people have done that. Mm-hmm. Karaoke. All, all those type of things. And now they're becoming regulars again, but it took a while because, well, people have to get their lives straight first. Right. Yeah. And so... Can you talk about the family element of Hades? Like, who all works, mm-hmm. you know, at the restaurant? And now there are two. So I guess when did the second one open also? The second one opened up in 2000. She calls it Hades 2000 because it's, you know, it was catchy, <laughs> you know, back then. You know, yeah. 99 to 90, that was its own marketing tactic at the time. Right. The world was going to end, right? right. <laughs> um, and family. Oh, where do I begin? Uh-huh. Is, um, it, is it mostly family working in there? Like restaurant, it, bar, kitchen. We have mo- we have a good amount of our family working there, and it is very family family based. Uh, we have my parents, obviously, and myself. 
I was brought up in that restaurant, and uh, from an early age, obviously you couldn't work work, but you're just being there and seeing how it's going on. It applies when you're a teenager and you have to actually do those things. Mm -hmm. And then when you're an adult and you have to do the heavier part of it, which you thought was the lighter part when you were growing up, you thought actually physical work was the hard part, but it's, it's not. Right. <laughs> and um, on the other place, and my sister's starting to come up in the business now, mm -hmm. and um, another one of my cousins, I'm training him to to be, you know, to be kind of like a middleman expediter type character. If you ever watch Hell's Kids, you know, like Jean-Philippe, basically. <laughs> that, that type of role. Right. I mean, not, you know, we're not, we're not Chef Ramsey now. Maybe. And the other restaurant has my aunt writing it, her sister. She has her son doing a similar role to mine, which is um, the middle management role, mm -hmm. where he's making sure that the kitchen is doing their stuff and that the food comes out on time to the right person. Tableau orders. My grandfather's there, you know, doing some food prep. I have a couple other cousins that, you know, they're getting brought up just kind of to learn some responsibility. Right. You, it's not, it's not like a typical family, like a, I don't want to say typical family business, like some family business, everybody just has to be in this. Yeah. This is more like a, we're going to start you here so that you can learn responsibility, learn some teamwork and family and, you know that kind of bond camaraderie type of thing. And if you're gonna do something else, you know, by all means, but it has to be something worth leaving this for. Right. I wanna go, go back a little bit. Um, when, like she was first getting established and just had parted ways with trolleys. Like, was there like a big, did she always have like kind of a steady increase in business and funds or was there ever a really big boon? And either however that shook out, I'm sure you know, the restaurant was a way to bring more family and, uh, and other friends and such from, from El Salvador. Well, when you first start a new business, um, you know, in the neighborhood, anytime there's something new in a crowded place, you know, people just want to say, well, what is it? What is it? Let's see. Is it good? Is it bad? So you kind of get a chance just by the nature of that being the most dense part of the city, mm -hmm. population-wise. It's just the most foot traffic there, and curiosity killed the cat, but in this case it didn't. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It made the cat. <laughs> um, and so obviously you're going to have a boom right off the gate, you know, big shiny sign, you know, yeah, new ribbon face, cutting, new, face, new, new face. Yeah. New face that's a face you actually knew already. Yeah, you get both. So it's like the people that are happy for her want to support her off the get-go, and then it's kind of like, let's support her, and if it's actually good, we'll come back. Because there's always going to be skeptics. Yeah. Anytime there's something new. But most of those people came back, and uh, I'll never say there was like a boom, boom, where it was like, this is, the, this is the period of periods, and we'll never top that. It's always been linear, has its peaks, has its valleys. Mm -hmm. Like, obviously, 2008, you know, it was, it was a valley, but it could have been worse. We're yeah. still here, right? We had to do what we had to do. Yeah. And then when people were starting to get more money in their pockets, it became a, a boom period again. Right. And now it's a steady period. Hmm. Yeah. Well, was Haiti able to bring, bring family? For, yeah. like, like, the restaurant is a source of income, it's job, it's, like the, it's, it's a better footing for someone that's just coming to the oh, States yeah. to, to get on their feet. Like, you know, a much different story than what your parents had to endure and what they pushed through. Yeah, the, the concept of generational wealth has always been something that my parents really held near and dear because it's something they didn't have, obviously, and they, uh, they just don't want... Well, 
how am I going to learn how to run the place if I can't eat or I can't go to school or I, I don't have clothes to go to school with, mm-hmm. right? So they're, from an early age, trying to let you know that um, you got to use the bathroom like everybody else, right? So work, and uh, that that's how you get yours, and that's how... Yeah, of course. Yeah. And then um, we're, lo- we're looking to the future. We have Hades 2000. Will there be a Hades 3000 <laughs> one day? Maybe yours soon? You know, let's see how that goes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not to put you on the spot or anything. Not, not trying to make this a, a business announcement. But, you know, do you, how, how do you see, like, what do you think will be most crucial when you're moving forward? Like when the next stage of, like, new residents come in or there's new construction or something like that happening in Mount Pleasant? Well, I think what made my mom the way she was was her personality and the fact that she's always been who she was and never, well, you know, people evolve, but she didn't change. She evolved, but she didn't change. Mm -hmm. um, I'm sure at some point it'll be my turn, like maybe closer than I thought, but uh, I take that message to heart and... um, you know, I'm not going to be like, oh, everybody loves Mario. I'll say the people that know me know that I care about that place every bit as much as they do. That uh, the integrity will always be there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think I'm starting to win people over, too, because I, I um, it's almost like, a, like you see how I'm dressed today. This is a, it's almost like a tribute to her. She would at her at some point, you probably saw it, she'd wear her elegant dresses. Mm-hmm. And she'd go to tables and talk to the guests and get to know people. And if she hears over here somebody, you know, spilling their troubles to somebody, you know, she helps. And uh, sometimes you realize you're more like somebody than you thought. Yeah. And you, the role you didn't think was for you was been waiting you, the whole time. Yeah, you've been in that role already. Yeah. Yeah. That's great to hear. Like how I'm speaking for them now. Like yeah. that was something I never thought I'd be doing when I was maybe 13, 14. Mm-hmm. And so, do you think things have gotten harder or easier? Do you think there's ever a point where Haiti shall just want to slow down? You know, it seems like she's always, you know, <laughs> always moving 100 miles an hour, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, like you said, you found her the other day in the kitchen, right? Um, she doesn't have to do that, but she just really likes. It's um, it's her safe space. Yeah. The the business itself, it's like a safe haven where all the problems disappear when she's in the place. And all the all the troubles of owning a business, you t- you take that home, right? Right. It's the other way around for most people, but for her, it's like no, the haven is the actual job, and the rest is the work. Mm-hmm. So, have you lived in Mount Pleasant your entire life? Oh yeah, we've right. been here my whole life. Yeah. So have you moved uh, moved places? You know, I guess I'm curious. You know, when they first got started, you know, where were they living? When your dad came in from New York. You know, you said your mom was sleeping in the park, and then once she got the job, you know, did they get a little apartment? Have they moved up? Uh, you know, it's Mount Pleasant's got you know, giant big houses and group houses. And so back in uh, the late '80s, <laughs> you'd find this weird now, but the affordable places for people to live were actually the Argyle and the Doville, mm. which are the two most expensive places to live yeah. now right. in Mount Pleasant. Yeah, and. Um, so they lived in the Argyle, and um, that's just what they could afford to live in. And then the only place they moved to, because um, when they wanted to have me, and they finally had um, the money to buy a house, because back then the houses in D.C. were worth maybe a third or a quarter of what they're worth now. They bought a house on Hobart Street back then when um, 
it wasn't as prestigious to live on Hobart Street. And um, so we've always been in Mount Pleasant. Never had to move. Have folks ever, other business owners ever tried to come to your parents and say, hey, look, we want to buy the building. We want to put up 400 condos. You know, we want to put a new restaurant in here. You know, has that ever happened? Or the same thing with the house? Like, I know, like, the property value is Mm -hmm. skyrocketing, you were saying, with, you know, the Deauville. How How have the economic interests of dc as things have been changing um how has that pressure i guess affected you and the family <laughs> well you put it well it is pressure that's uh, that's the main point it's uh dc is kind of gearing towards a more temporary type residency for whoever moves into because the taxes and the, the cost of living and mm-hmm. all the inconveniences that come with it and the only it's getting to the point where like one the one of the things keeping you there is just the fact that even with all that, whatever job you get here is still going to be paying more than the job somewhere else for that same position. Yeah. And um, you said people buying the houses and the business all the time. People try it all the time. What was the, la- what was the last offer that was um, made for Hades? Hades? I think, you know, it was, a, it was a cash offer. It was a good cash offer, but... But for, for sorry, I meant more like for housing or another business or... Uh-huh. No, you know, they, they want to buy the building all the time because it's, a, it's not just the restaurant. It's actually 3102 and 3104. So it's the restaurant and the building on top of it. Mm. So it's apartments, you know, two, two floors of apartments above it. Mm-hmm. So somebody that's trying to redevelop and make condos would love a building like that. Right. But um, my parents, especially my mom, well, they see Hades as a place bigger than themselves. And, you know, it goes back to the family thing, but also from a neighborhood standpoint, yeah. she feels like there's always, she, there's always been somebody filling that sh- those shoes. And um, if they're going to leave, it's because they got sick of doing the job, not because somebody forced them to go. Yeah. So it's a bit of a pride thing. It's a bit of a, you want to have your seat at the table. Why give it up? Why sell it? Mm-hmm. Why, you know, you earned your cachet there. Why, why let somebody else buy it from you? Mm. It'd be different. Do you, of the other businesses that have come and gone in Mount Pleasant, what, what do you think, what was the difference with those businesses? Like, why didn't they make it and why does Haiti still keep going? It's mm. a good question. Um, a lot of those businesses were personal friends of ours. A lot, some of them weren't. Some of them were just, you know, people that were just sharing the neighborhood with you. It was various reasons. Sometimes it was just family. Sometimes it was because they, they just had children. And, you know, a lot of folks just have children. They don't exactly want to raise them in the city, especially a city where people over-sensationalize the violence in, mm-hmm. like D.C. Mm-hmm. You know, this things happen here, but, yeah, I mean, this isn't a war zone. It's, it's a very nice city. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a very nice neighborhood. <laughs> yeah. And, um... My, um, I'm sorry, I got lost in my thought. Right no, 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 it's okay. I, you know, I think you're right. It is a very nice city, very nice neighborhood. And I was, you're talking about, you know, in the 90s, maybe, you know, people didn't think of it as, you know, the nicest area. But that's it. They're stuck in the 90s. People right. that come here, they think of it as what it was then. Because right. I, there was a, some shooting in Mount Pleasant, I know, a year or two ago. And I was like, why are there 50 cop cars, you mm-hmm. know, in D.C.? Because I think it was such a... Shock. rare thing and shock that you know that some things uh-huh. are happening in, in Mount Pleasant um, yeah I just it, it's interesting like I think of Mount Pleasant itself as 
sort of a gem in mm-hmm. in DC. Like a, a lot of neighborhoods, I think you kind of walk into them, and there's nothing that existed in the 90s or you know the early 2000s at all. You know, we have fast casual restaurants now. You know, and we have famous chefs doing you know pop ups mm-hmm. and speakeasies, etc. But Mount Pleasant, in particular, you know, there are a lot of businesses on Mount Pleasant Street that, you know, are still stuck around, you know, you have that quote-unquote blast from the past. Um, Do you think, like, what makes Mount Pleasant in particular special in that way? Like, why is Mount Pleasant Like, resilient in that way. Well, I think you're always going to have a huge core and base of people at Mount Pleasant that have always been there and always wanted to feel like it's Mount Pleasant. Mm. And when I say feel like it's Mount Pleasant, I mean your mom and pop shops and uh, your... You know, just a nice place to walk, because that's what it is. People want to walk through Mount Pleasant, see what's going on today, see the fruit stands, see all the restaurants, see, uh, go to the library, go to um, little little pop shops. There. Um, yeah, they don't want to go to CVS. Yeah, they don't want to go to CVS, and even when Subway came, you know, that had its own pushback. And Subway, I, I wouldn't call it one of the busier businesses in Mount Pleasant. I'd say they're kind of just there. You never see the place full. Mm-hmm. Right. No knock to Subway, it's just you got to know the market you're in. Mm-hmm. And uh, even if they do put a CVS there, I still think people would go to the Mount Pleasant Pharmacy because they know Tony. They know Tony on a personal level. They, they, they don't want Tony to go out of business. Yeah, in know best world, I'd rather go there. Mm-hmm. So that thing I told you about, they like my mom. Well, a lot of the people still there, they get the concept that uh, they have to be good people for the neighborhood so the neighborhood remembers them when it's their turn to get help. Yeah, it's, it sounds, you know, even in this conversation, it's like Petworth is this big, this big circle, this big cycle. It's like you have, you know, uh, some hands you might situations where community groups or other things are like kind of restricting things and like resilient, or sorry, resistance to change or new music or something like that. But at the same time, the whole neighborhood will still come together to fight off and, you know, fight for their identity. Like each neighborhood in dc you can kind of spot by their architecture you know you can tell i'm a dupont i'm in bloomingdale all that sort of stuff but it you know i've I've been in dc about six years so not a very long time but even the, the whole time i can remember walking through mount pleasant and being like wow like like there is not another neighborhood like this yeah and so do you think does haiti come together to do fundraisers or try to support the existing businesses right you know tony of the pharmacy you know have there been sort of threats to the way of life in mount pleasant that you know you think haiti has come together to help support and um well it goes back to the whole you know the whole neighborhood is a family kind of aspect and uh when one when one group is uh having their issues we all come together everybody goes to the anc meetings to other neighborhood alliances that are there and uh without those without neighborhood alliances we wouldn't even have music it was a whole 12 year battle so 12 years, 12 12 years. years. to get music are you serious? yeah years. that involved a lot of lawyers a lot of visits to the abra board a lot of hearings and it was basically 40 people versus the rest of mount pleasant but That's see, those crazy. 40 people were the right 40 people to have that battle, you see? Yeah. And were those 40 people folks that had always lived in Mount Pleasant or knew? Some. You know, interesting. Yeah. And some were people that moved there and didn't like the inconvenience of us bringing the wrong people to Mount Pleasant. Mm. Yeah. Got it. And that was how it was worded to get our license and that argument held up 12 years. Right. That's so long. <laughs> right. Sorry, that's... that's 
and surprising I, and kind of disappointing to hear. But. Yeah, and when I think about it, when you talk about how well that Hades has adapted to change and that's how it survived, right? But the fact that if it takes 12 years to adapt to something to bring music or you know, if it took 12 years, you know, thankfully it didn't to, you know, to do tablet sales or et cetera, you know, how is a, you know, a local business, an institution that's been here forever going to keep adapting to the new challenges of demographic changes if it takes 12 years to adapt? You know, I don't yeah, that's tough. And, you know, thankfully, I think, you know, Hades was strong enough to, you know, fight through it. But, well, being willing to listen is a very underrated art in the world of having a business. And that's it. Often somebody, if they get to a certain point, they'll feel, oh, my God, I made it. Who is anybody to tell me what to do? Mm-hmm. You'll never get that from Haiti. You'll never get that from me. You'll never get that from my father because we understand that business is bigger than we are. So right out, that's a, it's like a fundamental thing where you're always studying the market. You're always looking at the plates that come back, you know, to when they're washing the dishes, whatever they didn't finish. Did they finish it because it doesn't taste good? Did they finish it because... Not finish it because uh, they were just full. You never know. You know, did, was the person happy when they... Things that you think we wouldn't think about. Like, there's a hundred people in the room. Why do I care about that one person cutting into their steak? But no, I want to see the look on their face. I want to see them smile when they, when they realize that they didn't have to put that much effort in the steak or when, the, when they dip their fingers in the sauces. And, uh, you know, always paying attention to your customer and not taking for granted the fact that you have a customer. So what do you think are the future challenges for Hades to make it to Hades 3000 or to, you know, the next 20 years? Well, I think you're always going to have the new, new um, class of people, new school of people coming, and um, you just have to make them care about you. Long story short, that's what it is. You've got to make them care about you. And uh, any advice you have for... You know, a future business owner looking to start a small business in D.C., you know, that you would tell them? You got to have your customers back and you got to have your neighbors back because you're going to, that's a commitment wherever you set up shop. Great. Thank you, man. Thank you. Thanks We're, for having me, guys. appreciate it. Well, this was uh, Lunch Agenda and Full Service Radio broadcasting from the Line Hotel in the Adams neighborhood. Uh, Adams Morgan neighborhood in D.C. and you know I'm your host Nani and, and Nick and we're here with uh, Mario from Hades Restaurant. So I appreciate having you. Thank you so much. Thanks yeah, for having me. It's a pleasure to talk. It's been my pleasure.